Chapter Sixteen of The Flying Stingaree by Harold Goodwin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Berard. Chapter Sixteen. Steve waits it out. The two-boat procession moved down Martin's Creek at slow speed, Scotty leading in the runabout and Rick following in Orville's boat. The boys had decided to take the crab boat back to Steve's because it could not be left adrift and they did not know where Orville berthed it. Both agreed it was senseless to return to Swamp Creek. That wouldn't help Orville, at least for now, and they might possibly be picked off by the riflemen. As they neared the pier, Scotty moved out of the way while Rick backed the big crab boat into the runabout's place. Before he had finished, Steve was coming down the walk at a run. The agent took the line Rick tossed and made it fast, then caught another line and secured the bow. Scotty backed in with the runabout, and Rick helped him secure the smaller boat to the side of the crapper. Bumpers on the houseboat, Rick called, under the cockpit deck. Steve hurried to get them, and they were placed between the crab boat and the runabout to prevent rubbing. The boys climbed to the pier and faced their friend. We found the boat headed into the bay. Rick said grimly, bloodstain on the deck, but no other sign of violence. We had a phone call telling us to keep away from the creek and the house, or Orville would be fed to the crabs. There's no doubt about it. They have Orville. Strangely, Steve replied, Yes, I know. Come on in the house. The three walked up the path to the farmhouse, with Rick and Scotty staring incredulously at the agent. How had he known? Did you get a phone call after we left? Rick asked. Steve shook his head. Then how did you know? Scotty demanded. Steve held up a hand. Easy, kids. I'm trying to get my thoughts straightened out a little and make some plans. We'll talk it over shortly. Inside the house, Rick went at once to the refrigerator. As the others watched, he pulled the bottom panel loose, took out the small rocket, and replaced the panel. Then he returned the refrigerator control back to normal and handed the rock to Steve. The agent examined it wordlessly, his forehead wrinkled in thought. Then he put it down on the kitchen table and investigated the state of the coffee pot while Rick and Scotty stood first on one foot, then the other, and fumed quietly. Steve decided more coffee was needed and proceeded to make it. Not until the pot was heated did he motion the boys to sit down at the kitchen table. He joined them, turning a chair around and straddling it, his chin resting on his hands on the back, his eyes alert. Testing our patience again? Rick asked, acidly. Steve's warm grin flashed. Sorry, kids. I was working over a few facts in my head, trying to make them add up. Okay, let's talk. Start by telling me about last night. The boys reported taking turns. At first we thought Orville might have told the rifleman guards we were on the bottom, Rick said finally, but that's out. He's a victim, not a member of the gang. I saw his boat just before Scotty picked me up, but I couldn't see him. Scotty picked up the tail. After Rick dropped off, I made a high-speed run out into the river, then turned and headed for a spot on the north bank, opposite where I thought the guards were. I got in close to shore and throttled down, deliberately giving them a chance at me if they wanted to take it. There weren't any shots, but I saw one of the guards 
the visibility wasn't very good so i propped the extra tank up in the seat and put my headpiece and mask on it hoping any watchers would think there were two of us i don't know whether they were fooled or not pretty smart steve approved thanks i ran back out into the river and fished around in the locker under the seat you had a few old wrenches there and some rags well i owe you a wrench it was the biggest one which means it isn't used very often on an outboard anyway just so long as it wasn't my size seven sixteenth wrench steve said with a grin go on it wasn't i wrapped rags around it and tied them with a hunk of line then searched for matches i finally found a paper folder in the glove compartment i had to open the gas tank and let up pressure to get any gas on the rags and it wasn't easy standing on my head in the cockpit what i really needed was a coke bottle i could have made a molotov cocktail by filling it with gas and using the rag for a fuse well i made another run inshore and watched for the boys with rifles they didn't show up i got as close as i could without grounding touched a match to my bomb and heaved it into the marsh grass my eyebrows took a beating scotty rubbed the slightly scorched areas i wanted to set the marsh on fire but the blaze was only a small one i figured if the grass would burn the riflemen would have to run upstream to safety but the stuff only charred in a circle anyway it scared them they came running to stamp it out and one of them took a shot at me but i was nearly a mile out from the creek by then and he didn't even come close let's hope i never have you two for enemies steve said fervently scotty concluded i decided brick probably had been in and out of the cove by that time so i moved to where i could watch with binoculars putting the sunrise behind where i thought he would appear i knew i could see him better against the light finally up he popped and away i went and here we are rick ended their recital we got back and took off our diving suits then went for a swim with a bar of soap when we were clean except for my hands which got stained by the mud we dressed and came into the house we were sitting down enjoying coffee and trying to keep awake when the phone rang how did those hoods get the number anyway that's not hard steve said it's probable that chameleon's boys started checking up on you the moment you showed interest my car is known at the local gas stations it would be just a matter of asking who owns a convertible at that description name and telephone directory add up to the right number watching you enter martin's creek would cap the information you could be seen easily with glasses from the river shore opposite the cove the agent got up and turned down the stove as the coffee began to percolate my tail is pretty short wag it anyway rick suggested steve put a hand to his forehead gags like that at this time of day cause shooting pains please be attentive and not waggish ouch scotty explained steve sat down again after you were safely on your way i changed to dark clothes smeared a little black goo on my face and took off for calvert's favor i drove to within a half mile and parked the car in the woods and hiked the first thing i came to was a chain-link fence it took some time to see if it was wired for an alarm and it was so i had to find a tree with a limb that overhung the fence 
i had taken the precaution of carrying a rope i found the tree fixed the rope to an overhanging limb and down i went we could have postponed recovering the payload and helped you scotty said reproachfully sure you could but i'm used to operating alone and i was interested in what you might find in the cove anyway i approached from behind the barn and had to take cover when two men went by they had rifles they headed down the peninsula toward the cove i scouted around but no other guards were in sight so i started with the barn steve paused that is quite a barn no hay no oats no horses but it has the loveliest dish antenna in it you've ever seen a microwave dish rick gasped exactly it's mounted on a truck and i suspect the electronic gear is inside i couldn't get a good look there are also little cubicles inside the barn probably horse stalls and i could hear a man snoring in one of them there wasn't much light and i couldn't use my little flashlight beam too freely but i did get a look at several gas bottles wrapped along one wall they were big ones of the kind used for commercial gases like propane or oxygen or hydrogen scotty asked quickly or hydrogen steve agreed and that's probably what they contain for inflating the balloons he got up turned off the coffee and poured three cups along about that time i heard rifle shots you can imagine what i thought i had a vision of two bodies sinking slowly into the mud if i'd had a weapon i think i'd have run down to see what was going on but common sense got the better of me and i figured it was highly unlikely that a pair of divers could be picked off with rifles if they were under water i was sure you had sense enough to stay down so i left the barn and went to the house you actually went in rick asked his eyes wide sure it was safe enough the gang was sleeping upstairs and the two guards were interested in you and orville no papers were left where i could get them there's a built-in safe but i'm no jimmy valentine who sandpapers his fingers and opens boxes by touch i couldn't do anything with it finally i figured all had been seen that could be seen and left the house i could hear a motor racing and i recognized the runabout so i knew you were still alive i retired to the woods behind the barn and headed for the river bank i saw scotty hurl his homemade bomb scotty shook his head i didn't see you you weren't supposed to i decided scotty must be creating a diversion and that meant you rick were still diving in the cove i took off for the cove keeping a weather eye out for the guards there was plenty of cover along the bank so it wasn't hard i got a good view of the festivities after the fire was stamped out the two guards walked up to the bank of the cove and waited until orville got close then they pointed their rifles at him and invited him to come closer still he didn't have much choice rick thought that was an understatement they questioned him for a while who were the divers and what were they after orville played dumb he said he knew nothing about divers and of course he had seen bubbles he always saw bubbles marsh gas was rising all the time he couldn't understand what all the shooting was about good for orville scotty muttered he put on a pretty good act saying he didn't know what they were shooting at but the guards weren't having any 
they finally made him pull up his lines throw his bait overboard and get everything shipshape then one of the guards invited him to step ashore orville balked and took a swing at the nearest one and got a rifle across the head he dropped to the deck that must be how the stain got there they slapped him back into consciousness and made him get out one guard held a rifle on him while the other put his weapon down and got in the boat he took the boat out into the middle of the cove aimed it toward the river and put it in gear then dove over the side and swam ashore the boat headed out and the guards walked orville back so he's alive rick said with relief probably i waited until the parade went by then fell in line they took orville into the barn and i managed to get a look through a window they tossed him into one of the horse stalls and locked up the barn door i decided it was time to leave steve sipped his coffee and made a face as it burned his tongue you can imagine how i felt if one had gone away i could have jumped the other but two with guns and me with not even a rock i was dead certain to end up with orville besides i couldn't take the chance rick stared if steve felt he couldn't take a chance on rescuing orville there had to be a good reason the only reason rick could think of was that steve had decided there was more at stake than orville himself we know where orville is scotty pointed out we can go after him this time we'll be armed steve shook his head sorry i wish it could be like that but we're not engaged in a personal vendetta orville may be out of there by tonight or he may not he'll have to take his chances one thing had been bothering rick aside from steve's untypical attitude about rescuing orville you haven't accounted for all your time you could have reached here before we did if you had started back right away steve shook his head i didn't i went to the airport and used the public phone by the side of the road to call patuxent naval air station in twenty minutes i had a navy jet fighter on the cambridge field i handed the pilot the pictures you took and told him what to do with them then i made another call to my office in washington to tell them the pictures were on the way and to look them over and take action accordingly we'll be seeing the results pretty soon the young agent stopped smiling your little mystery has turned into a case for jenny kids i'm pretty sure of my facts but i'll know definitely before noon right now you'd better finish your coffee and get into bed you'll need sleep if things start to pop that raccoon idea of yours about sentient things rick blurted if it's a case for jenny there must be security involved somewhere is wallops island involved somehow go to bed steve said sternly by the time you wake up i'll have a lot more than guesses and i'll give you the details then End of chapter sixteen